this is Domain Query, The Missing Arab Armies. A very warm welcome to all of my readers, all of my SoundCloud subscribers. If you've not already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. Make sure you never, ever miss a new upload. Uh, this podcast, or this uh, episode of the Domain Query series, which is the first in a, quite a while, actually, is a direct response to an interesting question posed by reader um, Sasha Hrongmitz to a post that um, I put up on September 9th called um, The Unsupportable Heresy, in which I provided an overview of the reasons why the origins of Islam are simply not what we have historically been told. They, the, the standard narrative of Islam is simply completely and totally unsupported by the evidence. And every aspect just about of that, of that early narrative is simply not true. <clears throat> so, uh, the reader's question was as follows. Uh, are you sure the Persian Empire used Arabs as troops against the Byzantines? I could be mistaken, but I thought one of the reasons the Arabs were so successful against the Byzantines was that their war manual, the Strategicon, did not have any info on Arab armies. Uh, this is an excellent question, and on the face of it, uh, the question is plausible, because you can go looking for the Strategicon online, the Strategicon of Maurice, actually, if you, um, if you want to go into the details, but... The Strategicon was actually written by the Byzantine Emperor uh, Maurice, uh, or at least it's attributed to him, and it's considered a practical manual, uh, sort of an elementary handbook for those devoting themselves to generalship. I'm quoting from the Infogalactic article about this. And it contains uh, a number of chapters. It contains 12 chapters, not a long book. It's about 180 pages. It is surprisingly difficult to get a hold of. I mean, this is a book that's about 1,400 years old, and um, you can't get a hold of it very easily. It's really annoying. Uh, I have no idea why. You can go look for it on Google Books, and you can look for it on Amazon and in a few other places, but you cannot get easy access to it. You have to jump through a bunch of registration forms and a lot of hoopla to get it, but it's, it's really stupid. But anyway... Um, there is a particular chapter, um, book chapter eleven. It's actually called Book Eleven within the the the, the book itself. Um, but in Book Eleven of uh, Mar- the Strategicon of Maurice, um, the uh, the the Roman Emperor talked about the Franks, the Lombard, the Avars, the Turks, and the Slavs, the the great enemies of the Byzantine peoples. And as far as I can tell, there is no mention of the Arabs at all, uh, nor would there be, because, um, or there, nor would there likely be much of mention. Uh, firstly, because Maurice himself died in 602, the Arabian, quote-unquote, Arabian conquests of much of the ancient Byzantine and Persian lands occurred between 622 and uh, 691, thereabouts. Um, actually, 6, 622 and uh, 732, technically speaking, if you count up everything, you know, the, the, the whole expansion of the um, first Islamic caliphate. Again, that's if you go by the standard narrative, because the standard narrative is very severely in doubt, and the more evidence we get every day, the more it becomes in doubt. Um, 
So there's really a few parts to this question. Number one, did the Byzantines and the Persians uh, hire Arabs? Uh, Reader Bloom responded directly to that question, and um, he said, yes, it's known that both the Byzantines and the Persians sponsored rival Bedouin confederations to attack each other. One of them was completely wiped out during the long Byzantine-Sassanid war, I forget which one. Uh, that's true. The, the, the Byzantines and the Persians knew perfectly well that the Arabs could function as shock troops. and uh, Well, not shock troops, but raid troops. And they used them as raid troops um, uh, against each other and to keep the various Arab tribes squabbling and divided. So did the, Arab, did the Persian Empire use Arabs as troops against the Byzantines? Absolutely. Um, that there is very little reason to, to doubt this. Uh, furthermore, if you go look up a group called the Ghassanids, um, this was a group of Arabs descended from the Azd tribes. Uh, this is going by the, inst the Infogalactic article. Uh, apparently they emigrated in the early 3rd century from the southern Arabian Peninsula, so actually a bit south of where Mecca is located today, uh, into the Levant region, where some of them merged with the Greek-speaking Christian communities and converted to Christianity, while others were already Christian and moved north to escape religious persecution. After settling in the Levant, the Ghassanids became a client state to the Eastern Roman Empire and fought alongside the Byzantine Empire against the Persian Sassanids and the Arab Lachmids. Now, who are the Lachmids? If you, again, go into the Infogalactic article on the Lachmids, the Lachmids were an Arab Christian kingdom uh, in southern Iraq, and they made Al-Hira their capital in 266. Now, this is fascinating stuff, and this is going to feature prominently in Sunday's Didactic Mind podcast, where I basically plan to unpack uh, some of the latest theories and research surrounding the so-called Prophet of Islam, uh, the I plan to look into some of the, the stuff that I've found about, well, I mean, when I say I've found, I've, I'm talking about stuff that other people have found, that other people have found that explain who Muhammad was. And it turns out, um, as I've been saying for years now, for about five years now, uh, Muhammad is not one man. He's actually a composite of mm, four different people, one of whom may have been an actual uh, Lachmid Arab commander, uh, or king, or, well, not king, but um, very strong tribal leader in the region, and who fought against the, both the, uh, fought against the Persians, certainly, and may have fought against the Byzantines as well. Now, um, as I said, uh, the, if, if you look at the, uh, what, uh, the, the, the Lachmids, right, um, the Lachmids uh, were definitely used uh, as troops by the Persians. Um, they, they definitely uh, were employed by the Persian Sasanian Empire to fight against the Byzantines. That's, this, is, this is definitely true. Um, this is, the reason for this dates back to like the 4th century, where essentially... Um, the, the Persians, led by Shapur II, began a campaign against the Arab kingdoms. Again, I'm reading through the Infogalactic article. Um, then uh, the ruler of the Lakhmid kingdom, Imru al-Qais, uh, realized that there's a massive Persian army headed his way. He asked for the assistance of the Roman Empire, 
Um, and then Constantius II promised to assist him, but was unable to help. And the Persians basically crushed um, Al-Hira, the kingdom of Al-Hira, um, and incorporated the, the Lakhmids as a vassal state. And what that means is that the Lakhmid kingdom then became a vassal of the Persian Empire to fight for the Sassanids whenever they wanted. So were Arabs used as troops by the Persians? Yeah, absolutely. The evidence on the subject, historically speaking, is absolutely clear. Now, why didn't the Strategicon incorporate this? Why, why, didn't they, why didn't the war manual actually talk about them? Well, it could be for a number of reasons. I, I mean, this is just pure speculation on my part. My guess is that because Maurice had already observed the Persians in combat and he had seen that the Persians incorporated uh, Arabs as um, frontline troops, not as heavy cavalry or heavy infantry, but as just frontline skirmishers and raiders, uh, he probably looked at them as kind of just vassals of the Persians and uh, talked about the Persians themselves. And the, the great danger of the Persians was always their uh, heavy cavalry. The Byzantines, ha the Byzantines were known for the Takmata, uh, which, um, as far as I'm aware, were descended from the ancient Roman legions. And that meant that their heavy infantry were the best and most feared in the world. But Roman cavalry tactics have always been a problem. Always. I mean, right back all the way to the days of the Roman Republic, their use of cavalry was always an issue. And um, as far as I know, the Byzantines were never much better at dealing with cavalry tactics than than the Romans. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm sure there are many instances over time because the, the Byzantine Empire lasted for, what, a thousand years, 1,100 years, in a more or less distinct form. So I'm sure they evolved some kind of cavalry tactics eventually. But um, the the problem with, uh, with them was that they, they were constantly dealing with this huge superpower threat uh, the Byzantines and the Sassanids were the superpowers of their day up until the sort of mid-7th century, thereabouts. That's when things really began to fall apart. Um, under the rule of Khosrau II, uh, the Sasanians really reached both the, the apex and the nadir of their uh, empire because it was under Khosrau II that they captured the greatest extent of Persian territory and it was also under Khosrau II that they lost. Uh, much of what they had gained because of the uh, very noble efforts of uh, Byzantine Emperor Augustus Heraclius. So, I, I mean, I'm going to try to go through a lot of this stuff on Sunday anyway, so don't, uh, don't worry too much if, if it all sounds uh, a bit confusing. But the answer to the question um, is, yes, the Persians used Arabs as troops. There's no doubt about that. There's no question about that. Uh, the Lakhmids did fight against the Byzantines. The Lakhmids were a client state, or the vassal state, actually, of the Persians. Um, did, uh, were the Arabs successful against the Byzantines? Well, <sighs> this is where it gets really interesting. Because the standard Islamic story about the early expansion is that... Um, Islam was an all-conquering force, that the, uh, Allah was on their side, and uh, it's because of Allah that uh, 
the um, the early uh, Muslims were able to just go forth and conquer everything. Well, it's not that simple. If you look at the history of the Byzantine-Sasanian War, um, it was between it was basically at about 622 that the Sassanids reached their, achieved their greatest victories against uh, the Byzantines. The Sassanids had basically conquered most of the Byzantine holdings in the Levant, in Egypt, and in Arabia. And they'd driven the Byzantines out completely. Then, starting in 621-22, uh, Heraclius reorganized his armies completely, marched forth um, with whatever he had, and achieved crushing victories against the top three Persian generals, then marched forward for the next ten, uh, six years, um, up until about 628, into Persian territory, and got to the point where he had burned down uh, a Persian sacred city uh, and had forced uh, King Khosrau II, Emperor Khosrau II, uh, to some very, very difficult terms. And part of those terms involved giving up control of the Levant, returning the true cross, the, the, cross, the very cross that our Lord and King Jesus Christ was crucified upon, and returning that to Jerusalem. Now, um, the problem is that these wars had dramatically weakened both the Sassanid and um, Byzantine empires to the point where the Sassanids were wiped out um, within a few decades by the Umayyads, the Arabs who came up from, not from Arabia, not from the Arab Peninsula, but from up north in the areas of um, Damascus and uh, Syria. And they went forth and they conquered much of what used to be Persian territory. And then they went forth and conquered much of what used to be Byzantine territory. Why is that? Because there was a massive power vacuum left by two uh, powers that had utterly depleted each other from going to war uh, for so long and so viciously. And the Persians couldn't resist um, the encroachment of the Arabs, and the Byzantines couldn't really resist either, especially when the Arabs, who were always known as raid troops, they were never known for shock troop tactics, uh, conquered the Persians and then uh, co-opted their Persian heavy cavalry. Now, it, it smacks of fantasy to think that a bunch of uh, raiders could go forth into the wilds of the Middle East and conquer everything in their path with such overwhelming success. It doesn't make sense because the thing is, you have to understand there's a huge difference in mindset between shock and raid. Um, the Romans, the Byzantines, and the Persians were great at shock warfare. The Arabs were and remain to this day a raid um, mindset. They, they, they maintain a raid, troop, raid attack mindset. Uh, what's the difference? Well, <laughs> the way to explain the difference between shock and raid is probably best illustrated through a football analogy. Now, don't run away. and This, this isn't, um, isn't going to be quite as depressing as that sounds. If you, if you look at European football, which I bloody hate because I can't stand the freaking diving and the nonsense, but if you look at European football, it's all about running up and down a pitch for a long period of time and passing the ball and shuffling around and, 
Um, and eventually, if you're very, very lucky, somebody actually scores and it's goal and everybody starts cheering and goes, wow, that was really cool. And uh, how amazing was that? And, um, uh, and it's all really, really boring. And it just requires a lot of endurance and stamina and uh, tolerance for nonsense. That's American. Uh, that's that's European style football. That is um, that is raid warfare. Uh, basically, you send a bunch of guys on ponies or, or small horses to inflict lightning quick attacks. Don't inflict too many casualties. It's really just more about the psychological effect, and then you run away. Um, and you can continue that indefinitely. You can do that a lot. Uh, uh, shock warfare, on the other hand, is very much a westernized way of fighting. It involves very heavily armored troops smashing into each other. Now, the way to think about that is American football. What is American football? Two teams of very heavily armored, big, beefy dudes smashing into each other. The mindset is um, smash bodies into the opponent until you get the ball over the line. That is the difference in mindset between shock and raid. Shock warfare is we're going to keep rolling until either you're dust or we are. That is the kind of warfare that comes directly from the hoplite formations of ancient Greece. That is the kind of warfare that you get from the Roman legions. That is the kind of warfare that you get from the Byzantine Tagmata. That is the kind of warfare that you get uh, from numerous um, uh, heavy uh, assault troops and uh, troop formations and cavalry formations as well, because you can do it with cavalry, you can do it with infantry. You can do it in a lot of different ways, but the... Uh, you know, the modern equivalent of the cavalry charge is the tank charge. And there's something absolutely uh, bowel-churning and terrifying about seeing 70-ton tanks charging at you at about 40 kilometers an hour, um, firing their main guns. I mean, you can, you can actually feel the earth shake underneath your feet. And that's how you break infantry formations. I mean, just sh you, you send armored cavalry um, running straight at them. And uh, it, it is extremely effective. It is just as effective today as it was a thousand years ago. Um, the, the use of armored cavalry as a shock assault tactic is very, very powerful. Uh, now, the reason why I went into this digression is because, the remember, the Byzantines and the Sassanids are both well-versed in shock tactics. Um, the Arabs are not. Now, you cannot take on a force like the Byzantines with just raid troops. It's not going to work. There's a reason why the Roman legions conquered everything before them for a thousand years on, in both the Western Roman Empire and then later on for another thousand years in the Eastern Roman Empire. It's not because um, no one else knew how to fight them. That's not true. The Parthians knew how to fight them. The Scythians knew how to fight them. The, um, the Sarmatians knew how to fight them. Uh, the Egyptians eventually learned how to fight them. The Iberians learned how to fight them. What did they all have in common? The Gauls learned how to fight them through very, very hard-won experience. The Huns learned how to fight them. What did they all do? They all exploited the Roman weaknesses against cavalry, which the Romans compensated for by hiring um, and pressing into service various other tribes and confederations and client states to supply cavalry formations. Now, uh, the Romans by this time and the Byzantines following them were well-versed in shock tactics, and they respected enemies that had similar shock tactics. Uh, but against enemies that, that only understood how to raid, well, they weren't going to budge an enemy like the Byzantines. 
uh, they weren't going to be able to do it because the Byzantines were just too heavily armored, too tough, too, uh, too experienced in battle. The idea, again, that a loose confederation of Arab tribes could just wipe out the Byzantines in battle like that just does not make sense. So, uh, what is the more likely explanation, or the, more, the much more likely explanation, is that Arab troops uh, won victories repeatedly against um, weakened Persians. Lakhmid, Lakhmid Arab troops, actually, rose up against their Persian overlords, overthrew them, brought a particularly uh, fanatical brand of um, Christian heresy into that region, uh, took over, and then marched west uh, once they had co-opted the Persian Empire, what was what remained of the Persian Empire, marched west with Persian heavy troops, uh, started mopping up what was left of the uh, Byzantine strongholds, pushed the Byzantines back, and eventually started pushing into North Africa and over time into Spain. And once you adopt this view of history, a lot of the mysteries of early Islam suddenly become very, very clear. It becomes very clear why there is a split between the Sunnis and the Shias, and why the Shiite Islamic practices are so radically different from the Sunni Islamic practices. It becomes really obvious very, very quickly why there is this schism and it becomes very obvious why uh, the interplay between the Umayyads and the Abbasids in the, um, in the basically first 150 years or so of, quote-unquote, Islam's existence uh, becomes so, so important to understanding the whole, the whole, uh, whole situation. So um, I'm not going to go on too much about that, not, not here. Um, I'd like to talk more about that on Sunday because it is pretty fascinating stuff. Um, but for now, suffice to say that, uh, yes, the Persians used Arab troops. Uh, no, the Strategicon of Maurice probably did not mention them. I cannot confirm this for sure because I can't download it, but I'm, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I mean, it's not that difficult to find. It's only 178 pages long. Um, and Maurice does talk extensively about the Persians. Uh, the fact that the Arabs were not really a factor in, in the Strategicon probably says more about their relative inability to fight compared to the Persians and compared to the Byzantines in areas of war that both were skilled at than it does to any uh, lack of insight or oversight by the author of the manual. And uh, stepping back a bit more, if you look at the history of the region, the conquests of so-called early Islam are not actually Islamic in nature, they are Persian in nature, uh, and what you see over the first, not even 150 years, about 250 years of Islam's existence is a constant, continuous process of retconning, redaction, uh, historical revision, and just blatantly making shit up uh, in order to cement an Arab identity, an Arab imperial identity, which the Arabs had never had before and had struggled with establishing because of where they were located. So I'll try to go over all of that in Sunday's podcast, but in the meantime, I hope I have answered the question. Uh, as always, if you have more questions, uh, just stick them in the comments to this uh, podcast or post and in, into um, the, uh, the comments at the blog 
and I will see you for the next one. This has been Domain Query, The Missing Arab Armies, and I am Didact, signing off.